Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, My guest today, I've had several times, uh, Ken McCarthy. He is a pioneer in uh, many areas, uh, primarily the internet. Uh, He came up with uh, tools that marketers use every day, uh, such as, you know, opt-in pages, uh, lead capture, email marketing. He's on the front edge, the bleeding edge of a lot of technologies, again, in internet marketing. Uh, He runs a site called Brass Check that exposes uh, corruption in dozens and dozens and dozens of areas and stories uh, throughout the years of, you know, what really goes on behind the scenes on major events. Um, Very prolific author, speaker, consultant. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, his new book that's coming out. Uh, He did one recently. Uh, called The Real Anthony Fauci that talked about uh, some of the origins of COVID and some of the planning and marketing that has gone into, I guess, what we've all experienced over the past four years with uh, you know the, the relentless propaganda and push for uh, you know crapsines and you know all these other issues we've been dealing with. Uh, now he has a new book that's coming out that we're going to talk about. Uh, I'll have him reveal the title. I don't want to spoil it for you just yet, but a uh, very fascinating guest. He has a lot to say about uh what's really going on beneath the surface. So welcome, Ken. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, no problem. Um, tell me about your newest book that's, that's just coming out now or about to come out. Well, great. Then let me just clarify one thing. So The Real Anthony Fauci is is Robert F. Kennedy's book, and but I contributed significantly to the content. I also was the quarterback on the marketing of it for the first three months. It felt like my book in some ways, but 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 the book that's coming out now, which I'm really excited about, is called Fauci's First Fraud. Uh, which is the book version of a film that I put out in August of 2020, and actually had put out segments of this film as early as April 2020, uh, and then and then I and then uh, Kennedy's uh, heard about it, and he referenced it 28 times in his book, so he he thought there was a lot of good material in it, and finally, you know, you know how it is, Richard. It's like we're stumbling along, and then suddenly we get the duh idea, like why didn't I make a book myself out of the film, right? All right, so it's 2023, not too late, because believe me, these guys are still cooking up more misery for us, and the better educated we are, the better. Um, so this, the, the, the thesis of this book is that it answers a big mystery. A, lo- a lot of people have asked the question, how did this thing happen? How did the whole, all the world's governments, from federal to local, go into instant lockstep over a respiratory illness that didn't seem, in fact, was not bigger than the flu and has proven not to be bigger than the flu. Uh, how, how did that happen? And the answer to every question on earth is always logistics, right? You got to find what is the logistics? How did this happen? You know, like what, there was something in place that made this possible. Because as you know, as a business person, and I know, uh, or even if you're, even if you're just, quote, just a publisher, you know that you, it, there's a lot of moving parts. And, and even a small project has a lot of moving parts. So how the heck do you get the world in the lockstep over, over a fraud? Right. 
Yeah. And the answer is they've been working on the this infrastructure for this particular fraud for 40 years. Now, they didn't have COVID in mind when they started to build it, uh, but they built the infrastructure. And it's, when it was time for their COVID show, which is what it was, it was a show, all they had to do was put the key in the ignition, turn it, and the engine started. So let, let me let me get into more detail about what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, literally 40 years ago, almost to the day, uh, there was a little journal article in one of the CDC's um, surveillance, and I mean medical surveillance, not the kind of thing we think of when we say surveillance. They have a surveillance uh, publication that they put out because the CDC is always hunting for new diseases, right? I, I, which is the source of a lot of evil in this world. And why are they always hunting for new diseases? They're trying to find new diseases because basically infectious disease in human beings has ceased to be a significant problem. Uh, it used to be a massive problem, especially when the, when, when the world became urbanized rapidly and you know people were living without indoor plumbing in cities. Imagine that. Yeah, and they right. and they still do it. They still, I mean, go to go to some of the the the, the slums of the of the developing world. There are there are. Pro, I, I venture to say there's hundreds of millions of people living in close quarters without running water. Mm. So when you have situations like that, you're going to have a lot of infectious disease. That situation actually prevailed in New York City up until the 1920s. Uh, believe it or not, I mean, I had I have a relative. Uh, she's passed away. She's my grand aunt, which makes her the equivalent of you know the same generation of my grandfather or grandmother. And she said, "Yeah, can we grew up in a, the tenement. We grew up and had no plumbing. We wanted water. We had to go downstairs with two buckets. There was a pipe in the back. We'd fill the buckets and we bring them upstairs. So on, in those right, so that so there was a lot of infectious disease. Well, as soon as New York City became 100% indoor plumbing." the infectious disease uh, rate plummeted. And it stayed at that level all the way through the mid-90s, from the 1920s all the way to the mid-90s. It actually started to decline even further from the mid-90s to 2019. It was on a nice steady decline. So great improvements were being made. So you don't really need the CDC, which is an infectious disease empire. Um, you know, you always need medicine and you need you know public health and you need intelligent things and so on, but you didn't need this vast, bureaucracy with tens of thousands of employees, many of them making in excess of $100,000 and having lifetime tenure and flying around the world and all this bullshit. You didn't need that, right? But so they were worried that they were going to go out of business. So they were desperate starting in the 1960s uh, to find the next new infectious disease because, you know, you don't have yellow fever anymore. You don't have malaria in New York, in the United States anymore. Uh, you don't have typhus. Of course, they're trying to bring it back in, in Southern California by letting so many people live on the street. But, but those things used to be a part, a part and parcel of daily life. So the CDC made sense at the scale it was at. It doesn't make sense anymore, but they wanted to make it make sense. So they are forever looking for new diseases that they can, quote, cure. And their cure, of course, is media hysteria followed by millions of dollars sent to them. Okay. Well, so, is it is it um, has it changed where... It used to be that they would look for diseases to cure, and that would get funding for research. But now it's morphed into something well, you know, more perverse it, and sinister. No, you know, it was very straightforward. It was like malaria was a problem uh, in the South, and 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 when people were building the uh, Panama Canal, um, typhus was a problem. Uh, a lot of these. They, they, so, in other words, you didn't have to discover what the problem was because we knew what the problems were. You know, we knew what these infected and, and, and new infectious diseases were not 
cropping up all the time, you know. Um, and and by the way, like San, San Francisco, um, actually, uh, I'm trying to figure the remember the dates. I think it was pre-earthquake. Actually, had a minor um, bubonic plague problem, yeah. and the re and the reason it did was they had they were overrun with rats, and the citizenry was okay with it. Like they weren't concerned by it. Um, and so there, there was a case where it made sense to get uh, the government involved and to go on an, an rat eradication program and spend money on it. It wasn't a mystery. You didn't need boatload of PhDs to solve the problem. Infectious disease problems that are related to things like you know pests and and bad water, those are solved by plumbers and exterminators. You know, mm. you know. And, and now, has infectious disease gone away? No, but it's become a very insignificant thing. And uh, does it require? Does it merit uh, research? Of course. Does it merit the level of research and hysteria that's being given to it? No. Cancer is much more serious. Diabetes is much more serious. All right. these all these metabolic diseases much much more serious, right? So they're they're forever looking for the next new disease. So in, so forty years ago this week we're recording this on the seventh. One of their their weekly or I think it's a weekly surveillance bulletins came out and said mysterious immune disease found among three uh, otherwise healthy gay young men in in L.A. And that little news item was the beginning of what we now know as AIDS. Uh, and, and what they did in the 1980s was take a, a, a environmental slash lifestyle disease and called it a contagious disease and an infectious disease, and thereby giving them all the money in the world they needed to research and fight and f look for the cure and stop the spread and all this other bullshit. Right. The reality is the majority of people that started dying from AIDS did not start to die from AIDS until AZT, a formally banned for human use drug. This drug had been banned for human use by the FDA, banned outright, cannot use, that was repurposed thanks to media hysteria uh, as, an AIDS, as an AIDS drug. And that's when the AIDS death rate went through the roof. Because okay. the drug was so hazardous, so poisonous. Drug, it's a mutant, it's a mutagen, and it's a carcinogen. And the very symptoms of AIDS, all the symptoms that you would think of as AIDS, losing weight, diarrhea, uh, immune system collapse, are all listed on the uh, the product uh, product write up uh, as potential side effects, adverse reactions to the drug. Okay, so the but but there were there were young men men by the way, and I'll explain why. The second, there were young men uh, in, in L.A., in San Francisco, in New York, in Atlanta, in Chicago, in the big cities uh, who were uh, developing really severe immune uh, system collapses. Now, all these people now are walking around saying, what's that phrase? No, I'm immune compromised or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, that's become like I've got ADD or, you know, or I've got, you know, whatever. Um, these guys were really immune compromised. I mean, they were getting, you know, fungal infections on their lungs. They were developing carcinomas in their nasal passages in their throats. I mean, these guys were freaking sick and it was real. It wasn't from a virus. It wasn't from uh, infection, an infection. It was from the abuse of a wide range of drugs that the typical heterosexual does not use. Uh, one uh, is... Uh, antibiotics. Now, let me explain that. Generally, most heterosexuals do not abuse 
antibiotics. However, in the lifestyle of certain, you know, every every community has a subsection of it that overdoes it, that has way too good a time. Professors, white people, black people, intelligent people, stupid people, gay people, straight people, every community's got a group of people that overdo it. And overdoing it in that era among men meant going to the bathhouses and going to the, the, the nightclubs and, you know, just cruising around looking for sex partners, the more the merrier. And like by their own admission, it was not unusual for a guy by the time he was in his 30s to have had over a thousand sexual encounters. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, right? It's like, wow. How do you Is he like Will, Will Chamberlain? Yeah, I know. That's so funny, right? And there, and think about it. I mean, this is we're kind of going sociological here, but you know, when men and women are together, you know, men are. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a stereotype, and it's true in my case. Men are pretty much ready to go, you know, and it's women that are put the brakes on and go, "Hang on, buddy. <laughs> like, let me get to know you a little bit," you know. Um, and that that kind of balance keeps things relatively sane, right? Okay, what happens when you have men and men? Like, who's going to say no? This just doesn't happen, right? So this this subset of the subset of this larger of this larger group uh, went into that in a very big way, and there were clubhouses and sex clubs and baths and you know you name it, uh, and it was all about having as much sex as you can with as many people as you could, because hmm. uh, that was fun, you know. And I guess when you're, you know, when you're in your twenties, you know, thirties and, you know, I guess it's fun. So the problem with that many sexual partners is you are going to get sexually transmitted diseases. Right. And these guys, these guys would get not once in their lifetime, but five, 10, 20, 30 different episodes of sexually transmitted diseases. So they would go to their doctors and they would get antibiotics. Okay. Yeah. Think about that. And, and then it became common, this is all in my book, and this all comes from gay activists who did the reporting on this, by the way. I, did, I, did, I didn't dare uh, report anything that hadn't been previously reported by a gay rights activist. Uh, these guys would then take antibiotics. They'd, they'd just have them, and they would take them prophylactically. Hey, I'm going out. It's Friday night. I'll, I'll pop some antibiotics. What do you think that was going to do to their immune system? Just that alone. And there was a disease, there was an outbreak of a disease, I forget what it was called, but it was in San Francisco pre-AIDS, where these guys bowel, I mean, I don't want to get gross, guys, but I mean, let's just say they had some serious problems with diarrhea and, and other things. Well, what do you expect when you're abusing antibiotics, right? So that was one drug that this small subset of a larger community was abusing. Well, you one know, one thing to note is, um, you know, round after round after round of uh, antibiotics would destroy your microbiome and your health. And then also getting these, this, this load, these bacterial or viral infections over and over and over from the STDs would also really kick your ass too. So the combination of the two, I would think would lead to someone that's just a mess physically and immunocompromised right off the bat. There you go. There you go. Then they added fuel to the fire. Um, in addition to all the, the drugs that heterosexuals use, you know, alcohol, speed, cocaine, heroin, marijuana, you know, all those things. They had an extra drug that is was is pretty much limited, or in those days was limited. I, I'm, unfortunately, it's become popular among everybody in the UK, which is a whole nother story. But it was limited to male homosexuals, and it's called poppers, um, uh, uh, amyl nitrate. And 
it, it, it medically what it is is you break one and um it it gives you it, it opens if you're having a heart attack it'll like open up everything in your body like fast um and it was used well i'm not going to get into the details but it was used to facilitate certain uh acts um that are unique to that particular group of people um uh, and and so the poppers were and then this is this is from the film verbatim from guys that were there that were telling the truth poppers were everywhere they were on the dance floor we have that in the film we actually have a footage of guys dancing and one guy breaks one of these poppers and starts snorting on the middle of the dance floor every gay nightclub and 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 uh bar and uh bath house sold poppers some of them had their own uh private label brands right and there was apparently uh some dance places where they would actually put poppers into the air system and blow them out over the crowd. All right. So this thing you take only in, first of all, it, it it was originally uh, available easily in, in um, drugstores and then, you know, drug addicts found it and were abusing it. So then it was made by prescription only as it should be. Uh, And then a private, you know, private companies said, Oh, what if we just change a few, molecules here it's no longer illegal you know which is a game yeah, gets- I've, I've seen that directly with uh spice from years ago and smoke shops and i'm seeing it now with uh you know with thc they have delta 9 delta 10 delta blah, 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 doing the same thing yeah, exactly exactly change change one molecule and now you can go so so uh they did this and uh think of you know think of the business it probably costs a penny to make a vial, uh, the chemical is probably a penny. The vial may be another five cents, and you're selling them for 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 two bucks, and the bar keeps a buck. That's pretty good money in the in 1979, you know. Especially when somebody's buying, because it's not like alcohol. I mean, I hadn't thought about it until this moment. It's not like you know you can only sell a guy so many shots before his head hits the floor. Um, you could sell somebody an infinite number of poppers over the course of a night, and apparently that was the thing. You would do five, 10, 20, 30 poppers a night, and you'd go out, you know, four, five, six, seven times a night. If you were, what did that, it do to people that took it? What did they say the effects were? Well, it gives you a rush. And I'm, I'm trying to be delicate here. If you're engaged in a particular sexual act that is unique to, not unique to male homosexuals, but one of the ones that they most are likely to engage in, it opens things up. Oh, I'm just, okay. Can I just leave it at that? So that's, sure. that's why it was so popular. Um, so this is considered a dangerous drug because it is known to be carcinogenic. It is known to be mutagenic and, and, and we have to weigh things. If a guy's having a heart attack and he has one popper once in his life, it's a good trade-off, right? If you're a healthy person and you don't need it and you're doing five or 10 of them a night, four or five, six, seven times a night over years. Well, so where did these, where were these guys, where the initial, the initial scam of of, aid, of AIDS is that they said, and I'm not saying these these guys weren't sick. They were really sick. But you got to look at why they were sick. And remember, for people that are horrified with this conversation, how could you? Um, the original death numbers in of AIDS in the early 80s, I don't think I don't think ever surpassed 10,000 total. You did not have the mass dying until Fauci put AZT into these guys, and that's when they started to die like crazy. All right. And only only someone of his stature in the medical community was able to overcome the ban from the FDA on this. Well, here's the it gets really interesting. It gets really interesting. 
Uh, and all this is in the film is in the book in the film too. So there was this. What do they say when all the bad things come together at once? It's like a the perfect storm, the perfect way, the perfect yeah. storm. Yeah. So simultaneous with this brand new lifestyle, it never existed before. I mean, it was wrong, but it was the way it was. Was you know, gay nightclubs and gay nightlife was kind of put it. You know, the cops kind of you know kept a control of it. You know, there weren't a thousand gay night clubs and bars and bathhouses and sex clubs. It was not allowed. And then with the the rise of gay rights and so on, and 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 the, the, the America got really crazy sexualized in the seventies, because um, it wasn't just it wasn't just heteros, uh, homosexuals that that were going to sex clubs in the seventies. There were over a hundred sex clubs. Everybody's heard of uh, what's that place? Plato's Cave. You ever heard of that? Okay. You ever heard of that place? It's it's kind of historic. It's kind of famous. And every and a lot. Let's put it this way: a lot of people know about it. And, and it was, so Hugh Hefner at his Playboy Mansion had a cave or a grotto where people would do a lot yeah, of stuff. No, this, were, this, this was a, 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 like a sex club in the basement of uh, the Estonia Hotel in the Upper West Side. So most people, especially if they're my age, around my age, they'll have heard of Plato's Cave. Or I, I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's Plato's something. But what people don't understand is there were over a hundred places like that in New York City in the seventies, places where you could just walk in and join an or- orgy. Sheesh. Yeah, right. And so the heterosexuals had theirs, and the homosexuals had theirs, and like for reasons that I stated before, the homosexuals went at it, the males went at it a little harder than the heterosexuals <laughs> because there was no one to say, "Wait, <laughs> let's slow down," you know. So. Um, so, so there was, so the the community, the, the, the society was very drugged up, very sexualized, and it reached an extreme in the male homosexual community. And suddenly, it was allowed to have clubs and and bathhouses and all these things. So you had that going on, right? Then you had the rise and the rightful, the the, the rise of women's rights, of gay rights, of of uh, fair treatment for African Americans, um, all kind of happening. It started in the 60s and, and it continued on in the 70s. And it was still, you know, in full flower in the, in the early 80s. Uh, and so there was this weird confluence of people believing that A, AIDS was a, 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 a gay disease. I mean, it really, it was funny. First, they started out saying it was a gay disease. And, and at the reason that no cure was coming and no treatment was coming because America hates gays. That was their original line. Then their next line was, no, everybody can get this disease. Therefore, we need even more money to 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 uh, counter it. Right. Yeah. Right. When in reality, as I stated earlier, this if you died of AIDS, you either died of AZT poisoning or you were one of that original early generation of guys, of small part of the population that went way too crazy and had way too much fun um, and, you know, ruined your immune system in the process. Oh, by the way, the, the, the two, I got to say this is very important. The very first two diseases that were called AIDS were diseases that had already existed. One is uh, a fungal growth in the lungs. The other is Carposi sarcoma, which is a kind of cancer that you get on the surf on your skin. And um, these guys were getting it in their nasal passages, and then it would expand to their nose and their face, and they were getting it in their throats. Very weird, very weird place to get uh, Carposi sarcoma. Usually you get it on your skin. It's like it's the disease of an 85-year-old Mediterranean man that's been in the sun his whole life, right? Now you have a 30-year-old guy that's got it in his nose and his and his throat. Now, or or he's got fungal infection in his lungs or both. Question, 
if you're snorting a dangerous immunosuppressive drug mm. five to 10 times a night, five nights a week, every week of the year for years on end, do you think you might develop a problem in your nasal passages, throat and lungs? Yeah. Now, you're not a physician. I'm not a physician. You're not a PhD in pharmacology or anything. Do you need to have a degree to understand the problem here? You just got to think and try and yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, anecdotal evidence and anything come up that anyone says, if you're not a a medical professional is demonized, even if you aren't, you know. So, so it's so, yeah, what's so interesting is it is well known. And there was a stack of scientific papers from floor to ceiling that uh, described that this particular uh, drug when used in medical uh, situation was dangerous and had to be used carefully and had to be used with restraint uh, and should not be abused. That was known. And and what it did to people was known. Okay. Then there was another stack of papers uh, that talked about poppers. And these pa- papers were written by the CDC and said, no connection between poppers and AIDS. Mm. Yeah. So starting, they baked this into the cake from day one. They found the source of the disease and then they made, uh, and it's in the film, and they made a, a concerted effort to make sure that nobody connected the reality that this su- this particular substance was known to be immunosuppressive with the fact that there were all these young guys suddenly running around with uh, massive immunosuppression problems centered initially in their nose, their throat, and their lungs. That was a, that was deliberate. That was policy, right? So anyway, so going back to your original question, so what happened was the energy of of gay rights uh, demonstration. Uh, activism and 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 got got fused to the AIDS issue. And again, the AIDS issue was we want a cure. You know, not gee, we should be looking at what some members of our community are doing and you know counseling them on to you know a little moderation. No, that that wasn't the the, the line. The line was we need the government to come up with a cure for us. And if you don't do it, it means you hate us. So they took all that anger and all that you know ability to demonstrate that they have, and they applied it to pressuring the government to give them a cure, okay? Did they really, or there was someone pushing? Well, you know, I, think, fake, you know I, fake, I, uh, I have given a lot of thought to this, and I've done a lot of reading and a lot of study. I think the movement was legitimate. However, it was definitely co-opted because there was a, and I have all kinds, I've got all kinds of material to back this up, there was another stream in in the gay community that was saying, "Hey guys, maybe it's the drugs, maybe it's the antibiotics, maybe it's the staying up all night six nights a week and getting through your day on speed." You know that could be contributing, all right. And in the initial early years of ACT UP, and ACT UP was kind of the the, the Kremlin of the uh, AIDS um, uh, response. In the early days of of ACT UP, there were there was space for all voices. And slowly, 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 people that were talking about health on, from a practical part of the world. In fact, in fact, there, I, have, I, have an, I have a recording of some activists. And these are gay activists, by the way, right? These are not like anti-gay, homophobic people, you know? These are gay activists. There was a, a point where uh, ACT UP was approached by a pharmaceutical company. Because, see, the pharmaceutical companies became the friends of ACT UP. Right. Because, well, because we want to help you. We care deeply about your your plight. Right. But the and, real reason is to co-opt what they were doing and turn it to their advantage. Well, exactly. And so one of the ways they were doing that long before even anybody had AZT uh, 
came up with AZT was they were saying, you know what? We think this idea of prophylactic antibiotics is a really good idea, and we want to facilitate that. So these activists, um, uh, the, these health activists, these san sane activists, were, went to ACT UP meetings and said, hey, we're not down with this. This is a really bad idea. They were shouted down. Hmm. They were all but banned from future meetings. And they had originally been operating a call-in because a lot of people were terrified. A lot of people in that community were terrified. And, and a lot of them were sick as a result of their behavior. Hmm. And, and they needed someone to talk to. And so these guys operated a, a, a line which would talk to them and say, hey, do you party? Oh, yeah. Do you do poppers? Oh, yeah. We love them. And then they would educate them and say, you know what? That may be the source of your problem. Why don't you back off from that for a month and see what happens? Right. Hmm. So they had a, they had a call-in line, a uh, helpline. Help and the guide says, the day we showed up speaking against prophylactic use of antibiotics is the day they stopped referring calls to our helpline. They used to get 80 to 90 calls a day, and they, oh, went, wow. to, they went to like you know, two or three. Hmm. So, so yeah, so the, the, I, think, I think the original impulse was, was you know, they were confused. They didn't know what was going on. By the way, I got an article. I wish I had it handy. This thing was written in 1983 by the New York Times, and this was long before anybody knew anything about anything related to the, the AIDS, right? Yeah, that's when the New York Times was a real newspaper, right? Well, no, 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 no. They, they no, they've been bad forever, you know. But they, they, they hired this woman who knew nothing. She was very young. And obviously somebody was feeding her with hysteria. The worst, you know, this is when there were like five guys dead from AIDS total, right? The worst yeah. virus ever. Frightening because we don't know how fast it can spread. Frightening because of, of the speed in which the death occurs. You know, and, you know, it's just, it, it was, it re it, was re it read like a horror movie plot. Right. And I, and I, you know what, I'm going to dig that out at some point. Um, I can't do it for this interview, but I, I need to, to, to make a show around that because, it's very interesting. So they were laying down, the New York Times was laying down the hysteria because here's the problem. They make money off hysteria. Like CNN makes money off war. CNN never saw a war they didn't like. They love every war that happens. They never question any of them. Why? Because they make money. And I guess the Times is the same way in addition to all their their um, you know CIA infiltration, um, which is true, by the way. I got, I got a paper somewhere from the 70s. We're from a hearing where Richard Helms says, yeah, we got a bunch of journalists in the, uh, you know, infiltrating various news outlets. We're going to remove most of them, but there's 25 we need to keep. And the Congress said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> it's like yeah, people yeah. used to, it's so funny, Richard, people used to know this stuff. Like I saw a documentary that's on Brass Chuck that came out in 1965 on TV. NBC did it. They yeah. laid out all the CIA's misdeeds. The coups in Guatemala, the coup in in uh, Iran, the, uh, the 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 attempt to destabilize Cuba, the the evil things they did in the Congo uh, and elsewhere, and they they absolutely attributed it to the CIA. Like now, if you bring that stuff up, you're some conspiracy nut. They were talking about this on NBC on a special in in 1965, wide open. And they even had CIA guys on the TV going, "Yeah, we did it, but we had to. We had to save America." You know, and, yeah. and and now fast forward to our era and nobody knows shit about anything about how the world works. But anyway, there, there are the, yeah. the, the CIA does does place people all over uh, in, in news outlets. Uh, that, that That's just a fact. But in any way, in any event, they, they created uh, the news. 
CDC and, and NIH and all these people, all these bureaucrats that need a job, use the news media to gin up hysteria. The news media is run by, at best, idiots who have no scientific background at all. And they're very happy to act as buckets to, you know, to, to relay uh, the, the junk information to the public. It sells newspapers. And so this fear started and it, it seemed to involve gay men and therefore they got involved. It became part of their activism and they started ACT UP because they wanted a cure and they felt the government was withholding the cure from them. And, mm -hmm. then, the, and then the pharmaceutical companies were like, yeah, man, this is great. Keep at it, guys. We'll give you the solution. And you literally had these people by the hundreds, by the thousands, marching around demanding AZT. And do you think that was real? Or again, it was a co-opted movement? Or what, Well, what you know, you, you can take a legitimate movement that was formed by legitimate people, excuse me, for legitimate reasons, and you can steer it your way. Mm. So, and that, that's the useful idiots at work, right? You know, you've got... Um, and again, we you and I we were talking about that I think earlier before the call started. The only way these things can work is you need some really diabolical smart people that are very aggressive and very energetic. You need a bunch of money, and then you need to be able to tap into the ocean of useful idiots out there. And uh, there's a phrase, and you know, I used to, I I am a progressive person. I am I would be a liberal if it weren't for how insane they'd become. Have been all my life, anti-war, pro-labor pro-women's rights, you know, I mean, you, you name it, I'm, I used to be what would, would be called a liberal, but uh, there was this phrase that, that I used to hear from my, you know, more right-wing friends, fuzzy-headed liberals. And I, and, I, and I, I'm afraid that is just the perfect description for these people. They, they've been to college, they, they, they are able to, art, they're, they're able to speak complete sentences, but their ability to logic or reason or, or extrapolate from facts is pretty much zero. They get emotionally charged, with a notion, and that becomes it. You know, the world's going to end next year because of climate change, right? By the way, mm -hmm. Chris, you'll appreciate this. We've done a collection of, of climate change articles that goes back to 1923. Oh, wow. And either the world's going to freeze to death, that's been a theme, or or, or we're going to have, you know, a, a meltdown of the planet. And it's just hilarious. We're going to put these into a book. It's just hilarious. You know, by the year 2000, it will no longer snow in the Northeast snow will just be a thing of the past that grandparents tell their children. Well, it's 2023. We had plenty of snow this year. Um, anyway, uh, we're, we're so, 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 interesting. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, and, and why did they, why did they do that? Sells newspapers. And otherwise, what are they going to report on? You know, life is pretty, you know, trees grow, the grass grows, kids get older, kids go to school, people go to work, you know, the guy opens the store on time, the restaurant serves meals without poisoning anybody. What, 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 what's the news? You know, life is normal, right? So you need, you need these dramatic things. And what could be more dramatic than some scientist? And the scientists love it because, you know, I, I have a, a former relative. He's a, he's a, a brother-in-law. Uh, he's in the financial industry. And uh, he just loved to be on CNBC spouting the latest bullshit. Uh, yeah. He was addicted to it, you know, and, 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 and he would pretty much say anything to get on CNBC. And there are a lot of scientists like that. They love hearing the sound of their own voice. They love being on CNBC or they love being on the on news media. They have a sensational story. The news media needs to keep people viewing or get people to buy the paper. So they run this crap and everybody runs around and thinks it's true. And that yeah. applies to climate change. It applies to uh, uh, you know, this COVID, it applied to AIDS, it applies to, to so many of these things. I mean, now kids are being taught that we're the most racist country in the world. 
Well, I I agree. If you were in the South, if you were in Alabama in 1950, that was pretty freaking bad. Um, But today, are you kidding me? Yeah, of course, there's there's always a jerk. There's always some, you know, lug-headed moron, you know, who's going to be an idiot. But our society is not racist, Uh, not not in the way not in the way it had been. And and we are making improvement. But but there are kids that are 18 right now that literally think they're they're living under, you know, uh, slavery or under Jim Crow. You know, they go to Princeton. Well, I, I was I was around the day before, you know, all the George Floyd stuff. Everything was OK. And all of a sudden the next day, uh, everything's racist. Like what? You know, what are you talking about? Everything was fine yesterday. Why, why now today is it bad? Yeah. That's literally what it was like. And they, flip, they flipped the switch on that one. They just flipped the switch. And uh it, they well again. They, they, I'm sure if, if if someone had the time, they could dig out that and, and figure out what the infrastructure was. And and so to take this kind of full circle, if you want to know why COVID suddenly overnight every single jurisdiction, federal to local in every country in the world, all were in lockstep, it's because for the last 40 years the AIDS fraud has been running full steam. They have spent over just on research alone. Over half a trillion, and I said trillion, half a trillion dollars on AIDS research alone. That doesn't count AIDS education, AIDS prevention, AIDS treatment, AIDS publishing, AIDS, I mean, you name it. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people punch a clock every day uh, and get their basically their AIDS um, paycheck. You know, they're a public health official. So let's look at this. You cannot be. A governor of a state, a, 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 a county executive, a mayor of a city, large or small, or a public health official, federal to local, if you don't agree that HIV is the cause of AIDS, you will not have you will not keep your job. You will be thrown out. Okay. Who's the leader of that parade? Tony Fauci. Uh, at least subliminally, all those people know when Tony Fauci says there's a virus, there are no questions. So that's why. So this was his first fraud, is the whole AIDS. The first, exactly. HIV that's equals the, AIDS. That's the point. The point of the film is one HIV. See, the formula is HIV equals AIDS equals sure and miserable death alone, unless you take whatever drug we give you. That's that's the full formula. But I break it down to HIV equals AIDS, which it doesn't. Uh, and by the way, who agrees with me on that? Luc Montagnier, the Nobel Prize winner, who discovered the HIV virus. He started yeah, so the movie, uh, I believe it was then the band played on and they, they talk about him and Robert Gallo and how Robert Gallo tried to, you know, destroy him and his reputation and said, no, this is AIDS. Yeah. There was a whole big, uh, big thing about it. Yeah. yeah Montagnier discovered the, the, this thing, this genetic particle and, uh, called it HIV. And then Gallo said, oh, this is what causes AIDS. And Mont and Montagnier, by the way, interestingly enough, Montagnier got a Nobel prize I mean, now it's changed. Nobel's completely corrupted. But in those days, it meant something. I mean, when you give Barack Obama the Nobel Peace Prize before he's even served a day in office, there's something very, something very, very wrong. Yeah. Um, but but uh, in those days, you actually had to do something to get a Nobel Prize. Montagnier got the Nobel Prize for discovering this thing. Uh, and, I, and I say this thing pointedly. Uh, and Gallo did not get a prize of any kind for claiming that it created AIDS. And he's been he's been you know, t- shown to be a liar, a fraud uh, on many, many, many issues. But anyway, it's not me that's saying that HIV doesn't cause AIDS. It's Luc Montagnier. It's also Kerry uh, Mullis. Now, Kerry Mullis is important because he also happened to win a Nobel Prize, you know, just sort of. 
you know, sort of an intelligent guy, sort of an informed guy. And he's the one that invented the PCR uh, technology. I notice I didn't say test because he said you should never use PCR technology as a di medical diagnostic test. This is the inventor of the technology. He said this is not suitable for medical diagnosis. It's meant it was meant to facilitate research. It's you know you get you have a little bit of genetic material and you and you need to run tests. Well, you, to grow it, you got to wait for it to double, and then you got to wait for it to double again. And you know you grow, grow gray hair by the time you have enough material to run all the tests you want. PCR is an amplifier of genetic material. That's what it's for, so that you can take you can run it through a PCR process and end up with lots and lots and lots and lots of genetic material that you can now run tests on. So the idea of using that that amplifier as a way to test for disease is absurd, especially since we know that they they would rack up, they would ramp up the the the, the, um, the cycles on the PCR test for COVID. I mean, you can find I, I, this is before COVID. Somebody went through the New York City subway and did swabs everywhere, and I have the article somewhere. I got so much stuff now; it's 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 uh, I, I can't barely find my shoes some mornings, right? But um. What they they found every disease known to man on the New York City subway, everything, and including a lot of things they'd never seen before anywhere. Right. <laughs> so what's the point? The point is all this stuff is everywhere all the time. The issue is how healthy is our immune system, right? Now, if I I can probably find I can probably find every disease uh, disease uh, every uh, genetic particle. Uh, that ha that may be implicated in disease in your body if I can just do enough cycles on a PCR. I will I will take that little fragment that your body's you know handling fine. You know it's it's like a, a well, there, there could be other you know mat biological material that has similar sequence and that could be amplified and that could be mistakenly shown. Um, I know from the uh, you know the number of amplifications they would call it the cycle threshold that. It was supposed to be, let's say, thirty, and they would crank it up to forty when they needed, or fifty. Yeah, um, there was, yeah, there was all kinds of shenanigans that went on, and and I asked people, oh, you were tested. Uh, what was the number of cycle thresholds? Uh, what, what are you talking about? You know, like people would get tested, they'd have no idea where the swab would go, who would look at it. I mean, you could just as easily have a testing center, and they just throw the swabs in the garbage and randomly assign who is sick and who is not. Well, you know, I I, I bet someday it's going to come to light. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was also being done, but that that's a whole nother story. But yeah, it's it's you you if you have you know we don't we're not sterile. I, I know this is a shocker to people, but we're not sterile, right? We've got all kinds of viruses and or what they call viruses and bacteria and all kinds of things everywhere on our skin, on our eyelids, on our on the surface of our eyes, on the you know, and we deal with them. You know, some of it we need to live, right? Um, and so if you if you put a sample of us, you know, in a uh, in a PCR process, you are going to find stuff, right? If you go into the New York subway with a swab, uh, you're going to find play. You're going to find every darn thing out there. You know, that doesn't mean people are going to get sick. It means you know the subway could use a little bit of a cleaning. Um, so, uh, yo, know, that that's another part of this movie, by the way. Uh, one section of the movie shows the absolute fraud of HIV testing, and this was a, a, a vicious vicious thing because just like with covid you know you get a covid test and they say oh you're positive you can't work for a week and everybody in your house has to lock down but wait a minute none of us have symptoms i don't even have a sniffle it doesn't matter you're you're infected with the disease no you just took a test that came up positive uh we don't even know what if that test was was valid or not 
They did the same thing with HIV, but much more sinister results. I know of at least one person who got an HIV test who killed himself as a result. This was a very famous guy in our industry uh, back in the 80s, in our industry being marketing and so on, uh, Martin Shrello, S-H-R-E-L-L-O, who used to teach people how to use direct mail to sell seminars. He was a wonderful man, and I guess he was a community. And um, he uh, took a test, took the HIV test, found he was positive, and blew his brains out. Because what they had been presenting to people in those days was if you had HIV, and then they would show you the picture of the guy in the hospital bed, completely emaciated, yeah. you know, alone, dying, you know. Well, that, that's pretty damn scary. Maybe I'd blow my brains out, too, if I thought that was my my uh, fate. But they created... Talk about hysteria. Now, now they say, oh, there's hope, but only if you take our stuff. Well, you know what? I, I didn't even realize how bad it was, uh, even after I made the movie. What they're doing now is they're telling young gay men and 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 inexplicably young gay women, because look, young gay women don't have as much sex as young gay men, okay? Does that everybody understand that how that dynamic works? I mean, there may be certain women that, you know, just go, you know, go wild, can't have enough. But they're generally a little slower, a little more sensible. They're a little more interested in relationship as a general rule, right? Guys are guys, gay or straight. And, you know, we're sort of wired to, to uh, spread it around as much as we can. Um, so there's really no reason for women to be involved in AIDS. Um, you know, if they're having sex with other women, how are they going to transmit AIDS to each other? I mean, it's just anyway, but it's another, but, but, but so anyway, what they're now telling young gay men is, look, it's a, they, they're, they're positioning as a rite of passage. You're coming out, you know, which, which used to be this big drama thing, you know, now it's like, yeah, so what, what else is new? Right. You know, but in, in the, in the seventies and the eighties and then the early nineties and this is maybe early 2000s, this was a big deal, you know, to come out. Right. And, right. and, we, and all your gay buddies would pat you on the back and all, you know, it's big, big emotional uh, change of life. Right. So what they're telling the young kids now is that, um, as part of this life transition that you're coming out, well, you're now going to be having sex. Uh, and therefore, you're going to be at risk of AIDS. Therefore, you need to be starting to take anti-AIDS prophylactic drugs right now. I wasn't even aware of this. Were you? Well, I was aware of it with HPV, you know, human papillomavirus. They they want to give it to babies and make it standard. It's just no, standard. You're, you're, you're talking about the vaccine for yeah, HPV. Yeah. Yeah, which is insane. That's a whole nother thing, right? That, but that's absolutely insane. But they're telling these young people, you need to take a drug for the rest of your sexual life. Because mm -hmm. after all, you're gay. And that puts you most at risk. I mean, this is so anti-gay that it's unbelievable. If you think about it, imagine you, you tell a certain group in society, well, because, you know, because of the nature of you, um, you are more likely to develop a dreaded disease than anybody else. Therefore, dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, yep. so, so they're putting these kids on a lifetime regime of AIDS prophylactic, whether or not they are been whether or not they even have a bogus HIV result or not. I mean, this is insane. And I and I, I saw this. I, I, you know, New York City, you know, the fourth street subway, right off Sixth Avenue where the basketball courts are. Do, do, I don't do you know that subway, but I've been on the subway yeah. many times. Yeah, it's the West. It's the West Village. Anybody that knows New York City knows it's off. Um, uh, I can't think of the name. Bleaker, Bleaker Street. It's a Bleaker. Yeah. Anyway, there's a, there's a there's a famous outdoor basketball court where some of the best street ball in the world is played. And mm. and um, 
there's and anyway, there's a long tunnel from the train to the street. It's long. It's like a hundred yards. It's ridiculous, and it's lined with ads. And it's in the West Village, which is just a, a stone's throw away from Christopher Street, which is the old, you know, which, which was the gay neighborhood of San Francisco. I mean, of, of yeah. uh, New York. Yeah. The whole thing was filled with ads for Truveda. Truveda is this AIDS prophylactic. And it's all young people embracing and, hey, keep safe and show your love and do to do and, you know, sign up now for a lifetime supply of this drug you don't need. It's probably going to freaking kill you. Or, or shorten your life or or precipitate some kind of metabolic disease. So yeah, so this is this is still I mean it's, it just it just keeps going on and on. Um, and nobody knows it and it's become a part and parcel of 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 gay rights, right? So there's all these people that make their living as LGBTQ whatever else they've added to it, I can't keep up. Yeah. Uh, they're professionals. They they run centers, they counsel, they I don't know, it's like they they or they're I just learned <laughs> sort of related that my college, which only has about 4,000 undergrads at a time, maybe 5,000, has 70, 70 full-time equality, uh, diversity, and whatever you call it. Uh, it's it's an acronym, E-I-D. E-I-D. They have 70 people in management positions whose sole job is to look around and find anybody who's, you know, any place where people are not being treated with absolute equity every second of the day. And that is not even the entire infrastructure. Those are just the directors of the programs. They have, they all have staff. So they probably are maybe 120, 150, 200 people on a campus that only has 5,000 students who are just walking around looking for diversity problem. Right. So anyway, there are, are plenty of people who uh, are in that business and, uh, you know, they are going to persuade and encourage in, in, the, in, the, in the gay part of that. They're going to say they're going to accept money. They're going to they're going to put on programs. They're going to put up posters uh, encouraging uh, the young people. Hey, get on this lifetime drug because you're at risk. So all these these groups that are supposedly uh, proponents of this group or that group. You know, for these rights, that rights, they're just really using these people as pawns, is what it yeah. seems like. It's it's the useful idiots. It's the mm. fuzzy headed liberals. They haven't thought it through carefully. They haven't one of the one of the biggest uh sources of my film and 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 the book, because the book is half the script from the film and half of additional material, uh, is a guy, let's see, you know, I always used to laugh when people would have to grab their own book to remind themselves what's in it. I just think, how could you not know what's in your own book? I, I get it now. Um, Terry Michael, okay, he was, a, he was a journalist. He was a gay rights activist. He was a former uh, press secretary for the Democratic National Committee. Um, interestingly enough, in 2014, note the date, 2014, he declared Anthony Fauci the biggest threat to public health in the world. Oh, wow. Because he had been on to Fauci and Fauci's frauds. But what 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 Michael said, Terry Michael said, and he he just nailed it, is relatively few people go through the hard process of taking real science courses or real engineering courses, much less get a degree. The vast majority of people who go to college get you know something liberal arts or 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 vocational, you know, uh, so they don't have a science training, and they know they don't have a science training, so that when someone with a white coat shows up. And tells them studies show that you know blah 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 blah. They just believe it's true. 
Like they have no basis to say, well, who says? And how'd you come up with that result? And how does A plus B equal C here? I don't see it, you know? And so they become uh, fodder. They become pawns. They become useful idiots. You know, they want to do good. They, I mean, I think people do want to do good and they want to help the downtrodden and, and the disadvantaged. And they don't want people to be bullied and mistreated. And all that's good. But that 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 mechanism, well, look, look at war. Look at war. Like, you know, you want to defend your family. You want to defend your neighborhood. You want to defend your community. You, you want to defend the, the, the defenseless. Um, but somehow that gets perverted into, okay, here's a uniform and a gun. We're putting you on a plane. You're going 10,000 miles from here, and you're going to be shooting at people you don't even know. And there's no reason for you to be there. We just needed some oil. You know, it's it's that taking of the natural human, the good natural human uh, impulses and weaponizing them and, and and distorting them and using them for their own purposes. This is big business. And and there is an interesting connection, by the by the way, between AIDS and warfare and, and, and covid in that, in, in to a degree, some of the same people were involved. Um, in order to make AIDS a big deal, and this happened during the glorious administration of Bill Clinton, they took AIDS, the U.S. took AIDS to the U.N. Security Council. This is in my film. Now, what did that, what did the disease belong in the Security Council? And they sold the world on the idea that AIDS was a security threat to the stability of the planet. Well, if it's... It, right. It's not now. Now we're not only collecting money from the medical side, we're now going to collect money from the, you know, the not, not necessarily the offensive military side, but the security side, which includes military. Right. Well, I think it's like war on this war on that. It seems right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, I tell you what, whenever you hear there's a war on something, you know, it's bullshit. Um, for instance, the war on drugs. Um, well, obviously, you and I were talking earlier. There's no war on THC anymore. You know, yeah. the yeah. only war there is to is to produce as much of it and give it to as many kids as you possibly can. So that that war was pretty bogus. Also, I found out something really amazing, and apparently it's true because no one's gotten sued for libel. Um, it, it's known, speaking about the war on drugs, it's known that about one out of five U.S. servicemen came back from Vietnam with a heroin habit. Mm. That's not even yeah, just. I saw, uh, I saw the video on that. Yeah. How- Marijuana was demonized to the servicemen in Vietnam, but heroin was pushed. Yeah, if you had heroin, if you if they caught you with weed, you were getting serious brig time. <laughs> heroin, eh. And apparently, and it kind of makes sense. I mean, obviously you had the whole street culture and all the underworld selling it on street corners, but apparently it was available in the service clubs. <laughs> and apparently the guy who had the uh, the franchise for that was uh, the, the mobster Traficante. Uh, who was who was uh, based in Florida, and uh, he was a good friend with BB Rebozo. And if anybody is old enough to remember, BB Rebozo was Richard Nixon's best friend. Um, and Rebozo was like a he was a Cuban uh, exile guy who was also had a ton of money and was you know nefariously involved in all sorts of criminal activity, including interaction with Traficante. And it looks like, and this is in a very serious book by a very serious guy, it looks like Traficante was given the the um, franchise. To sub- covertly, you know, they didn't they didn't sell it next to the Budweiser uh, or the Miller. Um, but if you went, if you needed heroin, you could get it from a service club, and there was somebody in that club that would make it available to you. And where did that heroin come from? Oh well, you know, we needed to make the warlords in northern Laos happy, so we would buy the opium from them and ship it to to buyers in Vietnam, where it was processed in the heroin, and it ended up in our troops. And so we're supposedly fighting a war on drugs, and we literally were the cause of the drugs. If you like this podcast, 
please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.